Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. Hi team, welcome to another awesome episode of the Present and Sober podcast. We've got a real treat for you today. Uh, Our second guest, her name is Megan Brooks and she's an inspiration. Ellie has been looking to get Megan on the podcast for a while now because she has a true story of resilience uh, in the face of some really difficult experiences when she was younger. And she's somebody that really embodies this idea that the work is the joy. She has throughout her life faced her troubles um, despite, you know, the natural the resistance that we all have to sort of turn away from these things. And she's learned, as I say, that the work is the joy. She now has uh, a sign in her room that says, find your joy, it's just a road. And I think we have this idea that these things are going to be difficult and dark and hard to move through, and it isn't always easy. But from listening to Megan's story, you're going to find out how facing these things can just, just be such a joy for us in our lives. Um, interestingly, Megan found that when she removed alcohol, despite having done a lot of work throughout her life, that other things came up that she just didn't expect. Um, so we do talk about that a lot in the in the episode. Um, and we also talk about something called the ACEs study, which is the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. Um, and if you're really interested in that, definitely go and have a look on Google, go and have a read around that. But in a nutshell, the ACEs study was something that happened in the 90s. And it was the first time that we really started to understand the really powerful connection between the adverse childhood experiences that we may have had and behaviours that we display later on in life or kind of in the future so it may be the death of a parent or big events like this or living in in a home with somebody who has a problematic relationship with alcohol or or other substances that really impact us and the more of these aces that kind of stack the more and more challenging it becomes for us to at times sometimes not repeat some of these behaviors or perhaps even just end up in negative um, behaviours ourselves that are damaging to us. So that is definitely something to go and explore if you're interested. Ellie gives an amazing um, introduction to Megan and what she's all about, so I won't talk much more. I just wanted to frame the conversation. And yeah, have an amazing listen to this, and uh, I hope you enjoy. See you there. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Present and Sober podcast. And we've got another really special episode because I am not just joined by the delightful Mr. Sam, but we also have the even more delightful Megan with us today. Hello. Hello, Hello. Megan. Hi. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Super thanks for being here. So I'm going to explain who Megan is and, and, and why she's here. I really... Uh, I really wanted to get her on because she's got a wonderful story to tell and she's got the same kind of energy that um, we fell in love with, with the wonderful Siobhan. So she just makes sense that she's our next guest that we want to talk to. So Megan is an expat. So she's a Brit living over in Florida and she's a mum of one little lovely boy. And uh, I met Megan after she was a participant in the live alcohol experiment. And that was back in January of of this year. So I was coaching in the live alcohol experiment and the lovely Megan was one of the participants. So she got to see me 
um, on the old uh, live. So there's like a Facebook live every day with different coaches and um, there's a level of interaction by asking questions and that sort of thing. And Megan, I got to know a little bit in that group. And my at the end of that uh, 30 days of the alcohol experiment, I set up a small group for uh, women to who wanted to continue on with um, their alcohol-free journey and uh, got a little group of women together. And Megan was one of those lovely ladies. So she was one of my first um, ladies in group coaching. And it was a, you know, a wonderful, wonderful experience. Fantastic group of ladies. And the, um, the thing with Megan is that, as well as an absolute wicked sense of humour, the dry <laughs> British wit, <laughs> there's, Megan has this real spark that um, I have an affinity with. So when, when Megan talked about her experience, the live alcohol experiment is very, very similar to mine in so much as she joined the live alcohol experiment with little expectation of where it might go, what she might do it was a I'm going to see what happens here and had went into it with a very open mind and willing to put the the energy and the time into experiencing it for everything that it was and the the really beautiful thing was that out of the other side came I think more than she could have expected and I'm sure that Megan will talk all about that in her story so the, there's that side of it and then also this real um, willingness to embrace like the inner work and the healing that is necessary as as part of all of this you know you you go alcohol free and then stuff comes up and you you know you you need to be prepared to to deal with that stuff and um, Megan will talk in her story about her experience of that and having already done a lot of work on herself as it was. So she, she described to me coming into the alcohol, the alcohol experiment as a, as a work in progress. She'd already done a huge amount of work. And I think that coupled with a real drive and determination, she's a very strong lady and uh, very, um, you know, in control of her, her outcomes, her destiny. And so I think those, those two things married together created something very special and when we talked uh, a little while ago, Megan, you were talking about this idea of like wanting there to be a third door. And, and, and within that, when, when you were talking about that third door, you said to me, I wanted a third door and I found it. And within, and then the next part of that sentence was, it's the work that's the joy. And so that, that is something I'd like to circle back on at some point, because it was just, when somebody, you know, when somebody says something and it kind of gives you chills and I was like, that's it, that is, that is it. Um, because we often talk about, you know, working on ourselves, doing the work and it can sound, I think possibly because of the language, it can sound like it's something laborious. Work. Yeah. Like, who wants to do that? Looks like. Right. Um, so when you said it like that, like the work is the joy, I was like, wow, yeah, that's, that is absolutely true. So I'm going to stop talking and hand over to you. So you, you can start wherever you like, Megan. And we've, I know we've got a huge amount to talk about. So um, we'll let you speak and we'll, we'll kind of get into it as we go along, if that's okay with you. All right. Well, thank you for that very flattering introduction. I think what you mean is I'm stubborn and bullheaded um strong is a nice word I think (laughs) 
tend to be, uh, I think most of my friends and family would say I was quite stubborn. Um, so I've been, I don't know if you said this, alcohol free since January. Well, you mentioned the January live. So um, a little bit over six months. Um, I think probably it'd be helpful just to understand a bit about and I'll try not to go too far back, but where I'd come from for the few years before um, uh, January um, 2018 was probably a big, I would say a big tipping point for me, um, pardon the pun, with alcohol, wine especially. Um, I think prior to 2018, like most of us, I'd been drinking since I was a teenager. I think that's super common, especially for Brits. Um, growing up on, on an island where there was not much to do other than to go up to the woods at the weekend and drink with your friends, a big old bottle of white lightning on a Friday night. Mm. <laughs> Blast away um, if you mix your cast away with your diamond white. <laughs> right. Oh, God. Um, jacks. Um, so drinking to me had always kind of been in my life, but I think what happened in 2018 was that it took up it started to take up a lot more space and it occupied a different space so prior to that alcohol had been there as um primarily a social tool I mean it was a big part of my social life it was probably my biggest hobby um but for the most part it felt like it was okay it felt like it was fun and of course knowing what I know now looking back I think I could have had more fun I know I could have had more fun without the alcohol but the thing that changed for me in 2018 was that I became a mum. So I had my baby in um, March of 2018 and um, had a really hard time breastfeeding, super stressful, super anxiety, um, super anxious about that, um, not sleeping, all the things that come with, you know, new parenthood. Um, living in the US, I only had 12 weeks of maternity leave available. So, you know, dropped wow. my 12 week old baby off at daycare um, and was just completely traumatized and then went off to run a department in a relatively new company that I had joined. Um, and I just, I got really overwhelmed and alcohol changed um, from being this like social fun thing to helping me manage stress. And to almost replace my social life in a way, it became a bigger hobby. Um, it was kind of the thing I looked forward to at the weekend. You know, even when, even if I wasn't drinking during the week at certain periods, um, I would be like hanging out for Friday night, just waiting for happy hour for that sense of, of relief and just to anesthetize mm. the stress and overwhelm and anxiety. Um, so flash forward, so that was, you know, in the summer that was going on, um, my drinking started to, you know, kind of go back to what it was pre-pregnancy now that I'd stopped breastfeeding. And then, bam, in the fall, my older brother gets diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in a matter of weeks, goes from us thinking he has appendicitis to him passing away. Just weeks. I mean, I think maybe six weeks total. Wow. Really shocking. He was 41 years old. Um, and then um, during that whole period, my mum got sick. She got taken to hospital. I'm trying to go pretty quick um, through this so I don't get too emotional. But my mum sadly passed away about three weeks after my brother. So take all of that in 2018. Wow. I mean, with all these 
like complete overwhelmed stress anxiety and then my brother dies my mum dies I've got a nine-month-old baby really stressful job and I just I would say 2019 is a blur to me I was all I was trying to do is survive keep my head above water and not completely lose my shit I said I wasn't going to cast and I just did already no you can you cuss as much as you like don't worry about it I I mean I I, you know I I know your story but it doesn't matter how many times you kind of hear it. It's like that's heavy. It's it like I, it, it, I, I'm just trying to like imagine like what it's like. It's just like dropping into the abyss. Like how how the hell you keep yourself alive? I don't know. I mean, we're just. It, I think for me, it it just shows how resilient we are that you you think that you can't, you you know, you look at other people who go through really traumatic things and you think, God, I could never get through that. Like how did, and you just do. I mean, that's the answer. You just, I I remember when my brother, um, not to go too deep into this, but when my brother was kind of coming towards the end when we knew that hospice was inevitable, I couldn't leave the house. I was having panic attacks and the only thing that gave me any, and I'll put this in air quotes, relief Mm. at that time Mm. was alcohol Mm -hmm. and um yeah so that's kind of where I was in 2019 was just in this cycle of grief and overwhelm that's where I was um and then came 2020 with all its blessings so kind of rolled into 2020 and um, we moved house so that was really stressful right at the beginning of 2020 um and that was in February. And then in March, of course, pandemic um, hit and we're on lockdown. And I think in, so I've been thinking about this a lot. And I don't necessarily think that the stress and anxiety made me increase the amount I was drinking. I think it just made me not even care how much I was drinking. Mm-hmm. Like it That's kind of gave us a bit of an excuse to just not worry about anything. Yeah. Now, wasn't exercising. We went for three months, barely leaving the house. Um you know, I was gaining weight. I was eating all the carbs. I was eating like everything inside, drinking the wine at, you know, five o'clock on the dot. I'd be like, all right, let's have a glass of wine. Let's feel better. And I think it, the thing is, I think the, um, I'm not going to get too much into big alcohol because that could be a whole episode by itself, but they did such a good job of advertising to us. I think the media, everyone felt really good that we were in it together and that we could just drink through it. It didn't feel Mm -hmm. weird. It didn't feel bad. I felt like I was completely at liberty to hit the pause button in 2020. Mm. Um, By the end of 2020 though, like we had a really nice Thanksgiving. We had a really nice Christmas. After Christmas, I was completely sick of myself. I was sick of drinking, overeating. I was sick of myself drinking. And I'd had this voice. And I think it had been for probably a couple of years. I'd had this like little voice, which I now like Glennon Doyle, I like to call it my knowing. And Mm. it was this little voice that was like, I don't think alcohol is the best thing for you. And that there was this little glimmer of, it's one of your words, Ellie, but there was this little glimmer of, maybe you shouldn't, maybe not drinking would be better for you. And it was, it was a quiet voice. Um, mm. She wasn't very loud yet. Um, and so I thought, why don't I just do dry January? So that was how I got into dry January, did it with a friend. Um, really lucky that was random Facebook group that someone invited me to. Someone in that group said, if you're thinking about doing dry January, read this book, it really helped me. And it was Annie Grace's book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd started reading that, found out about the live alcohol experiment and joined. 
and I, you know, Ellie, you kind of like undersold a little bit. I did not that I, it wasn't that I went in, I did go in one in a break. I definitely didn't think I was going to quit. And I would say, actually, as I was reading the book, I was reading this naked mind. There was a moment where I texted my friend and I was like, oh shit, Um, I've got a feeling if we do this, that we may never want to drink again. Like there was actually a lot of, there was more fear for me associated with not drinking than continuing to drink, which is crazy thinking about it now. Um, I was at the point where I think because of all the loss that I'd had, my dad also had died when I was seven. He was 41. My brother was 41 when he passed away. Here I was coming on 41. So I was turning Mm. 41 this year. Um, And I was waking up at three o'clock every morning thinking about dying. You know, Mm. I was thinking, um, I, I mean, it was of course the nights I was drinking it was the cortisol the adrenaline it was that three o'clock rush and I would just catastrophize over and over and again about I'm going to have a heart attack I'm going to have a stroke I've probably got liver disease you know thinking all the worst things um so the fact think about that for a second and you guys know this but I was so terrified of dying I was more scared of the thought of being sober for the rest of my life I mean, that's Mm. crazy. Like that Mm. goes to show you how pervasive and how alcohol is just like, it's just gotten its hooks into society, at least, you know, in Western society, I couldn't picture what my life would be like without alcohol forever. Mm. So I'm going to pause for a second because I tend to go on a bit. No, no, that's It's mad. That's Thank you for sharing that. That is unbelievably powerful. It speaks a lot to that belief that life is not complete without something is so fucking powerful so powerful it makes you think like you're saying like you're you're panicking that you're gonna die but that seems almost more powerful and the yeah like staying in the familiar and unhappy self is yeah i mean there's a real pull to that we have to really this to me is the difference between will and willpower they talk about this in yoga it's finding the will to like find the escape it's not Mm. And that isn't necessarily like, I don't know, it's not strength in the traditional sense. It's like, yeah, there's something deeper. There's something strange of like when you're going to find that moment where you're like, shit, it's really time to to deal with this. I think one thing that I, I think I've learned this in other ways in my life coming into this experience that when I feel, when I'm going into something, even if it feels scary, if I feel any kind of momentum going in, I just go with it. And I think that would be probably the number one thing that I would say to people is just go with it. Like just keep putting one foot in front Mm. of the other. I don't believe in one day at a time. That's not something that I um, subscribe to, but I just, just go with it. Just keep moving forward, let the momentum and just don't let the fear stop you from continuing to move forward. And I think that's what kept me going and still does keep me going honestly I think it's just like really letting this momentum carry you because this what alcohol does and I think it does it over time and for some people this happens faster than others but you know it takes this really complete amazing life and it displaces all the goodness or you know as much of the goodness as it can and so when you remove it you just have this gaping void that you now have to figure out how to fill. And what you realize is when you actually start to fill it with good stuff again, you realize you never needed the alcohol there in the first place, but it's really hard. 
Now think about like I was 40, so almost 41 when I took that month off and I'd been drinking since I was 15, 16. I couldn't remember what it was, what a full and complete joyful life felt like prior to Mm. alcohol. Mm. I was 26 when I made the move and I couldn't like, it's crazy how quickly that, that slow chipping away and like it kind of, you're like sneaks in through the back door. And it's like, you've been in this kind of abusive relationship with someone who's kind of like telling you like how much they're needed, but then you, you wake up from the spell. It's like the spell is lifted. And when that happens, it's like, whoa, <laughs> it's quite freaky, isn't it? It really, really is. Yeah. Really freaky. And the thing is that with that analogy, it's like all your friends are still, you know, in that toxic relationship. So you've got all this social pressure as well. You're, you're kind of sitting there going, wait, I don't think this is great. And probably most people who drink, at least drink habitually, regularly, heavily, however you want to phrase it, I've probably got a bit of a feeling of this is probably not the best choice for me, but everybody's doing it. Mm, so it just yeah. seems like it's the thing to do and that it's okay. It's, mm. it's amazing how, how pervasive it is. Mm. No, that, that very much is one of the markers of gray area drinking. So my drinking doesn't look any different to anybody else's. I'm, I'm worried about my health and I probably think that I ought to not be drinking this much. It can't be good for me. But I look around and everybody else is mm. drinking in the same way. And that that's one of the things that can keep people stuck for longer than they need to be. And yeah. again, another reason why we want to have this conversation is a very open, um, and not just this conversation today, but the, the, the podcast serving a purpose to just, you know, plant little seeds for people. Because you never know which conversation for somebody um, at whatever time is gonna is gonna be that I, I heard um Lauren McCowan was interviewing somebody on her new podcast which I'm just absolutely loving at the moment and she was talking about breadcrumbs and it's like following the the next breadcrumb mm-hmm. and so if there is anything in any of our podcasts that leads to be you know somebody's small breadcrumb one person's small breadcrumb then you know it's it's, it's worth it because as you say, it's like this, this lifting of this veil, this, you, you think there's only two possibilities. One is I'm miserable and I drink, or I'm miserable and I don't drink. And you think that they are the only two options and it's crackers because there is this other option, which is pretty wild when you get into it, but it requires this this work, this yeah. work that we keep talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've also, the tricky thing is as well, I was thinking about this whole, because I know I kept banging on about the whole three door thing. Like I want a third door. I want a third door. I don't want to drink and I don't want to not drink. Um, the tricky thing is you have to walk through the not drinking door <laughs> to get to the third door. You know, it doesn't just appear like you have to start. And you know, one of the things I was thinking about when you talk about gray area drinking is, I think one of the things that keeps us stuck is the way that stopping drinking is so stigmatized. You know, you're either Mm. a drinker or you're a recovering alcoholic. I mean, that's Mm. mainstream kind of the, the, um, uh, what most people think of. And I think for me, that didn't resonate. You know, Mm. I didn't, I don't feel like an alcoholic. I certainly didn't feel like I was drinking more than most people. I had no rock bottom moment. I had a family, a job. I mean, I I didn't have this extreme set of circumstances where I was willing to give up 
kind of a piece of my identity and give up my power to do something like, you know, an AA or one of those organizations. So that really kept me stuck for longer than I needed to be. And I think it, it, for me, I wish, you know, in so many ways, I wish I was really lucky to have you through a lot of this journey, Ellie, but I wish I could go back and like walk myself through it really. Um, and say it actually, if, if you're saying, am I drinking too much? Am I an alcoholic? Or like, I don't think I am. If you're questioning, then just go with the curiosity. Just mm-hmm. say, well, all right, so if I think alcohol may not be the best thing for me, let me try it the other way. You don't have to commit to forever. And that was what I think really worked well for me is I just said, I'm going to try this and I'm going to see how it goes. And that was it. I didn't, I really didn't go any further than that. And it wasn't until I got quite far in where I started to realize how much, I mean, I, I don't want to undersell. This is one of the best six month periods of my entire life. And it has been, it's been hard and there's been moments and it definitely was a struggle, especially at the beginning, but it has been an absolutely profound, amazing, life-changing experience. Like, I don't want to undersell that in any way. I think that it's hard when you're at the beginning to picture six months from now. So instead I would just say, just give it a go. And that's why the something like, it doesn't have to be, this naked mind or you know the live alcohol experiment but that's why something like the live alcohol experiment was really effective for me because it just lets you dip your toe in the water and have a community wrapped around to offer you you know helps and help and tips and advice and stuff as you go as you go through Mm. yeah i mean there are infinite doors I say this all the time. It's like your route is your route and like you make it up as you go along and, and the comparison game, you know, Megan, you talk about the us and them, like it keeps you trapped. It did for me. Like I was very much like, well, I kind of, I sensed, I knew that small voice was there for a long, long time. Um, and I was like, yeah, but I haven't lost my job and I do, you know, I haven't done this and I don't do that. And, but, uh, but the whole time slipping deeper and deeper and deeper down into this issue, asking myself these questions, like, am I an alcoholic? Am I this? But there's much, there's many more powerful questions out there, many more powerful experiments out there. Um, and yeah, like whatever it is, whatever you resonate with, like whether it's the snaked mind or, or whatever, like just, just, just have a go, make the leap. People will say to me like, well, what do I, I can't deal with this idea of forever. It's like, okay, so don't then <laughs> go, yeah, and, yeah. go and deal with 30 days or go and deal with two weeks. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Just um, just while we're on the subject of grey area drinking, just so to to frame that for anybody that doesn't know what grey area drinking is, so um, the, this whole term alcoholic is not a recognised term. So the you know the medical, if you want to get into the medical terminology, you're talking about alcohol use disorder, and um, and and that covers a, a wide spectrum. So you've got um, if you imagine like a, um, some kind of like a, what would that be? Like, I want to say like a pendulum, but it's not, it's upside down. An arc. An arc. If you imagine an arc and at the one end, you've got people that don't drink at all. So, you know, they're, they're at one end of it. You've then got very, very light drinkers. So the kind of, you know, like my, my dear old Nana, when she was with us and she'd have, you know, um, uh, what did she call it? A, a fuck's biz, as she used to call it at Christmas. Right. <laughs> Which to our delight. Um, you know, so you've got the people, people that are drinking barely anything. And then you're starting to get into people that drink 
regularly. And then that, that is where alcohol use disorder is, is starting. And, and so if you are drinking, and, and let's face it, how many people are likely to be drinking more than the, and I'm using our courts guidelines of 14 units a week. So you can imagine most people, most drinkers are going to be in that spectrum of alcohol use disorder. It's just, you know, to which end are you at the lower end of it are you, or are you at the far end of it? And, and there are very few people that are at the very, very far end where you're get, getting into physical dependency. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of grey area drinking, grey area, gray area drinkers fall into, you know, that, that part that I'm describing that most people are in of alcohol use disorder. And it's just as, as Megan described, I've not had a rock bottom. I've got no intention of having one. I can stop. So I stopped, I stopped in pregnancy. I managed to moderate for a bit badly by, you know, just drinking on a weekend. Um, I could stop and do dry January, sober October, but I never stayed stopped. I always went back to it. Um, my drinking didn't look like anybody else's. I was wanting to stop because I was worried about my health, but then still wanting to drink at the same time. So those are kind of the markers of, of gray area drinking and, and it captures a lot of people. Um, so, the, and there's a link that we can put in the show notes to, um, some more information about gray area drinking. Um, but I just wanted to highlight what it is because it's, you know, that as a, if I was going to identify with anything, then gray area drinking, yes, that probably, that's, that's probably the right terminology. Um, and, and I think that that feels, um, a lot more accessible to, to most people. Most people would probably say yeah, that's that probably covers it then. Um, and it's you know, it's, it's not this black and white. You're either you know this fallacy about there are two types of drinkers: you know, people mm-hmm. that can drink and people that can't. You drink enough of it for long enough, frequently enough, and you will have a problem because it is an addictive drug. It is a drug. It's not you know this harmless substance that you know if it was discovered today. It would not. They would not be allowed to sell it. They, no. they would not be allowed to sell it. We have to get down off this soapbox right now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting as well. Like the longer I go, and one of the things that um, you really, you guys have talked about on the podcast, and that I really think is helpful is understanding these layers of belief, because. I can honestly say six months in, when I look at alcohol, there is nothing there for me. Like a hundred percent. I look at it for what it is Mm. and it's just poisonous and addictive and doesn't taste very nice and it's overpriced and it makes messes with your sleep, makes you fat, um, makes you boring, um, gives you anxiety. I mean, I can really look at it. Put it like that. having learned everything that I've learned Mm. but when at six months ago like the fact that I I just stumbled upon this naked mind I didn't know anything about Jolene Parks, Annie Grace like I didn't know anything about any of that until I started to you know until that door was kind of cracked open and then you know William Porter like you start to read this stuff and you're like oh oh yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) there's nothing wrong with me I'm all right that's it and I think really it's Megan that thing you said about like that shift you notice in why you were drinking is often way more kind of indicative of of 
of what's going on behind the scenes than how much because i think we get really hung up on like well what's an alcohol how much would i need to be drinking in order to have a drinking problem when for one person they might be drinking one glass of wine a night but that glass of wine is just they cannot do without it they are completely dependent on it and without it they they their whole life is strapped to it someone else may be drinking more than that and not have the same internal relationship with it and for me i think at my worst point of drinking it did actually that actually my most painful point was returning to drinking after 19 months away and i was not drinking the most that i'd ever drunk but it was the most pain emotionally i was in because i knew what i was doing as mm. and and at uni that was probably when i was drinking the most but there was a lot more drinking to celebrate in air quotes there versus yeah. drinking to obliterate or escape and those questions are the questions we should be asking ourselves. Yeah. Like I always, I joke sometimes with other, you know, friends who are kind of in the know and are on this same journey as me. I'm like that Annie Grace, she ruined drinking for me. <laughs> like I, I could drink if I wanted, like, you know, there's some people who get into this and then they'll do their own alcohol experiment and they'll try, you know, they'll have some data points. They'll, you know, that's what we call, you know, drinking in this naked mind community. If you, if you have, you know, some alcohol, once you're on this journey, we call it a data point because you learn something. And the problem is for me that I'm like, I already know, like I already, it's completely ruined. It doesn't feel romantic anymore. And like you, if I went back to drinking now, I don't even know what that would be like, Sam. Horrific. I don't I can't even picture what that would have been like. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like I have spoken about this, but I think I kind of I, I, the reason that I did that. I said to Elliot, I had some real awakenings about this even last week as to like why I actually did that. I was trying to find connection with people, um, mm. and it was and I was just it was kind of like right, well, I'm gonna. And, you know, I, I knew from the moment I started, I shouldn't be doing it. It was awful. It was really, really bad because at that point I was well and truly on my journey. Well, and mm -hmm. I'd been to done all sorts of cool stuff and like had really started to heal some wounds. And um, yeah, it wasn't fun. However, if you want to talk about data points and if you want to talk about learning that period there, that's the reason why I've become a coach. That is the reason why I now help people to set them free because I've realized that time and stopping drinking is not enough. Fixing the behavior is not enough. There is other things you need to do if you want to find true freedom. Mm. Like, mm. you know, and I think Megan, you're on that path, right? Mm. Yeah. I mean, like I say, I would call that your springboard. Like I've always, I had quite a bit of, um, call it what you want. I mean, people hate talking about trauma because it's so overused now, but childhood adversity, trauma, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then more recently with the stuff that happened in 2018. And I think I've always seen that those periods of difficulty as springboards and as a way to kind of bounce back and beyond where you were before. I think if you can see it that way, I think you're really, I think you're really lucky. And I do think I'm, I'm one of the lucky people that rather than that kind of beating me down, I think that's, that's helped me, you know, kind of do, do more and do better after those periods of time. Mm. that's powerful that yeah there's um there's just uh, two things that uh, i'm good all the way through this and I'm like, there's just something else i want to say um you said earlier megan that this discovery there's nothing wrong with me <laughs> you know when finding out gray area drinking and all of that business and the you know finding out about this naked mind and 
discovering that there's all this stuff out there and that realization of there's nothing wrong with me. And I re- I just want to underline that a couple of times for anybody that's listened to this, there is, there is nothing wrong with you at all. Okay. And when you get into this, uh, whatever your own specific journey looks like going alcohol free or testing the water, trying to moderate, whatever it is, if you make the decision to drink at any point and we, and Megan referred to data points, that's and and an, and that really explicit um, uh, description that you gave Sam of like of how awful that was for you that period of going back to drinking. Anybody that whatever your journey is is as it's meant to be. So just take peace and comfort in. If you choose to drink, you are meant to choose to drink because there is something still for you to learn there. So the the, the only way that you can ever, like I I hear so much about relapse and slip ups and going backwards and I've undone everything. And it's no, 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 no. The only way that you can stop moving forward is if you get back into that shame blame cycle of beating yourself up because that, that sort of indulgent behavior doesn't, it doesn't move you forward. That keeps you stuck. Positive emotion keeps moving you forward. Yeah. So it's, it's seeing these things for, for what they are and taking peace in um, and accept it, just this acceptance of it's exactly as it's meant to be and you're exactly where you're meant to be. And there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. yeah. I see yeah. the, um, sorry, Megan, go on. I was just going to say like the thing about like, there's nothing wrong with you. I think when you start to learn more of the science of alcohol, which I do think alcohol explained is really a good mm place to start with understanding that and you start to realize that actually um alcohol is very specifically designed to do exactly what it does to your body and to your brain and that your body and brain are doing everything they're supposed to do exactly they're they're working in exactly the way they were designed to work to counter (laughs) to counteract the alcohol and i think when you start to understand that and you you, it makes it less personal and i think so much shame attached to this topic especially Mm -hmm. for women I mean I can't speak for men Sam but especially for women there's so much shame attached to it and I think when you really start to you can separate yourself a little Mm. bit from like emotionally from it when you understand the science and and I would go one step further with that too because what you describe when you described your um, history and the chronology of what happened to you after having um, had your baby and the tragedy that then ensued, it's no wonder, it's no wonder that you drank. It's no wonder because that it, it, it's like, I mentioned the Russell Brand thing in a previous episode. It's like, you know, it goes into, um, into rehab and somebody says to him, well done, well done on being an addict because you found, you found a way to keep yourself alive. And that's it. Like the, it's, it, it, it it's it, it's marvelous at um at what it does but it's so destructive at the same time in that like you, you find you, you know your nervous system is crying out for something your yes. brain is crying out for something to keep you alive and it's inevitable because of the way that chemically the way that it works it's inevitable it's absolutely inevitable that it's going to be that or something very very similar yeah I think like I was talking about that um like the childhood adversity which um if you haven't read it that recent book that Oprah um it's called um what happened to you it's just 
an amazing book about childhood trauma and the way that your brain um, develops and, and the fact that all childhoods are traumatic, actually, even if you don't have any what they call capital T trauma, all tra childhoods have some kind of trauma associated, but that what that does to your nervous system and how alcohol, like you're just like, I was just a perfect, like yeah. I was a perfect candidate for alcohol, you know? And I, I, I think I thought in a way I was more resilient and more evolved because I'd done all this trauma work in my thirties. You know, I started doing therapy when I turned 30. Um, and, you know, I'd had my, my um, dad and I'll talk about him in a minute, but my dad passed away when I was seven. I had sexual trauma as a child. I had neglect, food insecurity, a bit of homelessness, all, you know, I'd all scored like eight out of 10 on the ACE test, if you're familiar with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I went into my thirties and I did all this work on myself. So it really was sneaky because I thought I had built all this resilience and I was so evolved. And, and, and not to say that, I mean, that has served me really well in this journey because I think I've got, um, I had already a level of self-awareness coming in. Um, but it also made me maybe a bit cocky where I thought that I was above being negatively impacted by a substance. Um, so, Yeah. Mm. um what's the other thing I was going to say when you were talking about it's not your fault it's reminded me of my dad I was just going to mention like it's just my so my dad passed away when I was seven he um was an alcoholic like an alcoholic he identified as an alcoholic he was in AA it was the early 80s they were definitely alcoholics then I think um so he I mean he was you know a, a drinking vodka in the morning kind of guy um, I remember seeing that as a kid in and out of rehab I think I remember like three stints in rehab when I was little um, and he eventually killed himself and one of the biggest heartbreaks for me but it's also been really healing coming into this experience is and I was even thinking about this two like two nights ago that I wish I could go back because even like someone like my dad like I wish my adult self could go back mm. to 1987 um it's just a tragedy that there are people that suffer so deeply that you know in my dad's case he took his own life I mean there were like that like he was so in the clutches of alcohol that he couldn't see any other way out it's an absolute I mean it's just it's tragic it's tragic and it should be criminal but I mean you know it's just for me that's it's a real sadness but it's also it's been very healing just to have it not per it's like depersonalized it yeah. even in terms of my dad if that makes sense like now that I understand the science for him it makes it so much less emotional for me it makes it in no way it was a choice for him you know it, it, I really see that a lot more clearly now he was doing the best he could with what he had we um we talked about that the other day didn't we Ellie it's so powerful mm -hmm. that realization that we all are as hard as it seems to, to, to look at somebody else who might be causing us great pain and doing really difficult things. That's the reality for, for all of us. And it allows us to apply compassion. Megan, I think there's real power. Like, as you say, there's so much power and freedom in, in going through that experience, regardless of your dad not being here. Like it's huge, isn't it? It's such a, such a healing thing. I can imagine. Yeah. Massively healing. I think I was one of those people that, in uh, January when I would listen to these, um, you know, these coaches on the live alcohol experiment and they would say, you know, I remember Ellie and I remember, you know, others saying, you know, just, just bear in mind that you're good. There's going to be layers and there's going to be stuff under there and you're not going to know it's there. And I was like, nah, not for me. 
like I've, I've already excavated all of that I've done that so I'm good don't worry about me I've done 10 years of therapy and I actually come to find out that even if you're doing all the the quote-unquote work even if you think <laughs> that you're excavating all the bad stuff alcohol because it anesthetizes it does prevent you from really getting deep you know from really there's it's been interesting for me thinking again being quite cocky about my level of self-awareness coming in and seeing that there's all these um nuances and all this like these things that I've learned about myself in the last six months I never would have learned if I was still drinking yeah in spots it's, it's really interesting I said to Ellie the other day the time has come for me because I, I really resonate with what you're saying Megan because I quite young have become quite deeply deeply interested in all this work since I was probably 18 or 19 and I was doing it concurrently with alcohol um, and they were often at loggerheads mm-hmm. and I sort of I carried I really learned to manage and deal with some quite OCD and things that were good and and I sort of I think I unknow I didn't realize how much of it I've buried and how much of it is like you know it's hard to see the label from inside the jar how much of this is blind spots and I said to Ellie I think it's probably time for me to actually do some things I haven't done which is acknowledge the fact that despite being very self-aware and very invested in self-growth and development I need to acknowledge that I've got massive blind spots there are people out there that can help me manage this a lot better than I can alone and and I'm going down that path now of like going to speak to people and like just go and get some different perspectives because no one it's not the strongest thing to get you know we think going it alone is the only way to do it and it's really not the best way necessarily there's a there's a lot of help that we can get out there so I really resonate with what you said there big time and it's I think it's intimidating to people like the, the the idea of you know therapy especially British people I think Americans are a bit more comfortable with the idea but um, I, I, I think that sometimes we think we have to have this big thing to go to therapy with, right? Like we have to have a big um, traumatic event that we go and talk to a therapist about. Actually, you can just go to a therapist and say, I just want to know myself a bit better. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm 40 or I'm 30 or however old I'm, and I just feel like I want to understand who I am a bit more and I would like to work on how patient I am, for example, like it doesn't have to be a big reason. And I, I mean, I think everyone should go to therapy. I think it's mm. absolutely amazing. And one of the best things I've ever done other than I would say, other than this, or oh, I'll be a hard, actually, I'd be hard pushed to choose between the last six months. And then the six months I did of, um, I did uh, trauma counseling at a um, trauma informed care facility, very specialized facility. And it was amazing, life-changing. And, and I recommend, I'd recommend it to everyone. It's lovely. It's really a good experience. It's quite enjoyable too. It can be painful at times, but it's actually quite nice to go and just sit and talk about yourself to someone who has to sit and listen. Yeah. No, it's, it, we've said before, like there's a big shout out for therapy, for coaching, for counseling, like all of these things. Like there's a, a lady... Um, that I've been coaching for a while. I, I love working with her. She's got just, you know, this lovely energy, lovely personality. And she calls like the people around her. And, and I'm and I'm one of those people, like her, her wellness committee. Mm-hmm. And so she's got like, you know, her masseuse, her therapist, me as her coach. Um, 
and then you know like a raft of other people and it's her wellness committee I was like yeah shit we all need a bloody wellness committee you know like these people that champion you and can you know shine a light for the you know just to to help you get to where you want to be and and it's not you know like coaching for example like I she fixes herself like I just you know point her in the right direction I just you know reflect back like a mirror would help her find the wisdom within herself but it's like you could argue that you'll you'll get there anyway but do you want to get there faster because if you do then having these kind of people in your life it can make such a huge difference and as far as therapy goes I mean there are so many types of therapy as well now so there are all sorts of there's um there's all sorts of stuff. I'm, I'm just about to make a, um, a move into, I've always wanted to try EMDR. Um, so that, that is something now that is, uh, and, and I've just, dis- I've just discovered something wonderful. So there's a therapist that I did some CBT with some years ago and he was marvelous. And I've just discovered that he does EMDR. So he's number one on my list because I think when you find a good therapist, um and 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 you know that and again like if somebody has an experience and they have somebody that they don't they don't quite connect with then I would really encourage you not to give up because there there will be the right person Mm -hmm. for you and 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 that connection that fit has to be has to be right yeah well and you know because you're paying them you can audition them I mean you can literally the other thing that a lot of people don't know is that if you're in full-time employment, most of the time, at least in the US, I don't know, in the, in the UK, I'm sure it's very different, but in the US where we pay for healthcare, um, mostly your employer will have programs, like employee assistance programs, where you can get like three therapy sessions for free. So it doesn't even matter if you don't like the person because mm. you're not even spending spending the money, you know? Mm. But I think that this, and I remember talking about this in the live alcohol experiment too, like we, we don't, I think the barrier is often we don't invest in ourselves because we don't value ourselves. And certainly that was true for me. Like I didn't value myself enough to invest in myself and removing alcohol and starting to uh, get that connection back with my true self. Like now I would invest in myself, back myself. You know, I just, the, the message that I always want to leave people that have gone through that experience is like a bit like we were talking earlier of it's not your fault and there's nothing wrong with you equally you you deserve to spend whatever the amount of money is on a therapist you deserve to invest in yourself uh it's you know as you said earlier Megan it's like it's something everybody should have uh and and it is a bit different over here I don't I think we are um where you know we don't we don't have we don't talk in the same way I think about therapy as certainly my my US clients it's you know if you if you don't have a therapist then you're probably in the minority if you're American it's kind of a rite of passage I will say and it's I'm going to start sounding like Oprah's book club here but there's another (laughs) book that if you're interested in therapy and you're feeling a bit intimidated there's a book called you should talk to someone and it's written by a therapist and it's really good and she she talks about her clients and she also talks about her own therapy experience. And it's really eye-opening, really helps you go into a therapeutic relationship with a bit more information. And it's really entertaining. I would really recommend that if you're thinking about it. 
Um, Ellie, the other thing I was thinking that I really wanted to talk about, especially with you, because you're the one that taught me about it, was about how habits, um, which sounds like a simple thing on the surface, but how habits can be so helpful mm. in this journey. Hi team, what an amazing just way of viewing the world Megan has and what an amazing story and we really hope you got a lot from that. We've got part two coming up next week for you um, and as you can maybe sense in this call we start to move and really shift into the kind of tools and tactics and things that you can start doing and using in order to go on this journey that me and Ellie and Megan have all been on and the journey that we're of course still on and will always be on. So if that's something that interests you make sure you tune in next week to get some real tools and tactics for that and anything that was um, in the show today some of those books that Megan talks about I will put a link for those into the show notes, so make sure you check those out. Um, as ever, thank you so much for the support. Please do like and share these episodes with anyone you think they're going to impact. It's amazing how just one conversation can shift someone's life in an amazing direction. I know it's happened to me. Um, and please do go and leave us um, a review on Apple. Um, that really helps us improve in the in the rankings and it helps us like push out to more people. So amazing stuff. Have an amazing week. And catch you next week for part two of Megan's awesome episode.